Oh, hey, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the Efficiency Bitch Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Leone. This podcast is dedicated to all the women out there who are aspiring to have a career while raising a family. And bitch? Well, that's more than a name and even an attitude. (laughs) We use it as an acronym. It's for bank, inbox, time, connection, and harmony. Each episode is labeled according to the correct topic so that you can efficiently find the topic that you're looking for. I'm here to tell you, you can have your cake and eat it too. The trick is finding efficient ways to get through the have-tos so that you can make room for your best life. I can show you how. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to the Efficiency Bitch Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Leone. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Beehive. I'm so glad you came. If you've been around a while, thanks for coming back. Today is going to be one of my favorite things to talk about, money. So it's B for bank. We have a wonderful author here who wrote an incredible book. She and I sat next to each other at a Barnes & Noble book signing And instantly became friends because I love to talk about money and so does she. So I would love to introduce you to her. Bev, why don't you come on and say hi, introduce yourself, tell the audience where you come from, how you do life. Thank you. And it's so good to see you, Melissa. And I thank you for having me on today. I am Beverly Bowers. I am a certified financial planner. And I can explain about that in a little bit if you think the audience might like a little bit um, of an explanation. At this point in my life, I am devoting all of my time to financial literacy and financial education. It is my passion. It is what I love to talk about. It's what I wrote the book about to help educate. I grew up in the Midwest. I am one of five girls in our family. My father was a public, public teacher, public school teacher. All his career, my mother managed our home. Five girls. I am an identical twin. And my twin and I are the babies. There is about an 11 year gap between myself and our nearest sister. So it was almost like having two families. I grew up with public school education, going to a state university, started my career, had a family, raised two boys, tried to be a super mom like you all or many of you are trying to be. Unfortunately, I didn't have all of the great tools that Melissa talked about in her book, (laughs) but I did the best I could with that. I was married 23 years, and then the last person I ever thought would get a divorce was divorced, and I have now been single for more than 23 years. But I do have to say happily, I'm in a relationship now with a man who I went to junior high and high school with. And we just celebrated our fourth anniversary. So that is great. So a little bit about my background. I'll talk a little bit about certified financial planner, if that's all right. Yeah, that'd be great. This is a professional designation in our industry. And it's um, probably most comparable to a CPA. This is a certified public accountant. Certified financial planners go through, I believe, a similar process that CPAs do. You have an education requirement. You have to have a bachelor's degree. You have a work experience requirement. Then you go through a series of tests, and it's on the topics that are part of a comprehensive financial plan, which are everything from cash flow planning, retirement planning, estate planning, tax planning 
um, risk management, the list goes on. Each one of those topics has an independent exam. And then when you're done and have passed all of those, you have a comprehensive exam. When I took it, it was two days long. It is not an easy exam. If you pass that, then you are eligible and you have your work requirements in for the certified financial planner designation. It doesn't stop there. Every year you have continuing education requirements and you also have an ethics standard to meet. And for a certified financial planner, that not only means that you are going to act in the best interest of your clients, but also that it goes a step higher. You act as a fiduciary and a fiduciary adds a legal requirement to act in the best interests of your clients. So a certified financial planner, I view it comparably to a CPA. Yeah, I agree. And I think all of those things are so important to understand that that they are legally required to help you in a way that is in the best interest of the client. And so Whenever I am encouraging people to go find financial help with their investments and their savings and their overall planning portfolio of their finances, it's really important to look for those designations because everybody can do it. Anybody could, but not everybody's legally bound to support in the best interest of you. So I do think those of us that go in and find those credentials are important to us and for a good reason, right? So let's jump off with the premise of your book. So- Let's talk about how you decided to write this book and how you laid out the framework for it. Because I've read it. It's phenomenal. It does a really good job of of taking a very complicated topic, such as money, and breaking it down into bite-sized pieces. So how did you come up with the framework and how did you decide that that was going to be your way? Okay. Let me just talk a minute about why I wrote the book. And I have to say, I wrote it for you and for everyone who is watching. And it was the purpose of the book or the reasons I wrote it were based on things that I observed through my financial career. Now, I'm very lucky that I have had the opportunity through my career to look at the investment and financial world from many different avenues, if you will. I've been in banking, both in the bank trust and the bank investment side. I've been in the brokerage industry. I was a bond trader, and then I went in the branch system and found my true love, which is working directly with clients. Um, I had my own firm for a very brief period of time. I was trying a model that was ahead of its time, as it turned out. It would be successful today. It wasn't so successful then. But I went back into investment world, and I was a sales manager for mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. And then I went, missed working with clients so much. I love that face-to-face. So I went back into that world and I worked with registered investment advisors. I wanted with this book to pass along the, from my experience, what I saw as two issues. And first, the first one was more economic. And that is who was being rewarded in our economy? economy? Where was wealth being built? And when my parents' world, companies took care of their employees, pensions were common, those kinds of things. That wasn't happening anymore. Mm-hmm. The workers were on their own pretty much with 401ks or 403bs or whatever retirement plan. But I saw that the people that were being rewarded 
were the shareholders, the owners of the company. Those were the people that were gaining wealth and and growing their portfolios. And I wanted, I came from a middle-class background. I wanted every person to have that same opportunity, to know that if you decide it's for you, these are the steps that you can go through to get there. Now, the other thing that I saw, and my book is targeted to women, is the lack of involvement of women in the financial world. And that is really hard for me to let go, if you will. I keep working and working on that. And it's not, it's women are more and more involved all the time, but the majority of the time it would be the male partner who would come to a meeting. If the woman was there, after a while, you might see the glassy eyes, the stare, if you will. So those two things, wanting people to have the opportunity and knowing that sometimes women were intimidated, but more often they probably didn't know the questions to ask or Mm -hmm. were afraid to ask them. So I thought when I laid out the outline of what I wanted to cover in this book, I thought, what kind of analogy can I use that would appeal to women and that they'd understand? Now, I realize not all women are shoppers, but we all have to buy something. And so I used an analogy of building a portfolio. So you start from the inside and you work out and they're different pieces. But you have to decide what stores you're going to and how, what's the cost of them. And first thing you need to decide are what are your goals? What do you need? You need to do an assessment. You might already have some investments. So that's a piece of the picture. What are the expenses? How do you know what to expect? Where do you go if you want a product for saving? Where do you go if you want a product for investing? And I separate those two. In our language, when we talk about saving for retirement and saving for our vacation and saving for Christmas presents and everything is saving, saving. For the book, I had to make a line. And this is the line that most advisors would be. How many years ahead is that goal? You talk in your book about saving, emergency fund. That's a great example. Saving for most advisors and investing, there's been a cutoff at five years. Mm-hmm. If your goal is, is five years or less or under five years, then we talk about saving. If it's five years or longer, we talk about investing. Now, one thing that I have witnessed since I wrote this book is that many advisors now are saying that line should be seven years because there's been more volatility in the work. Mm-hmm. So saving. We're going to, so I called saving anything that's under five years or under seven years, seven years or longer. That's investing. And that's what I, the breakout I make in my book. Why is it important to have long term goals for investing? Because you have to be willing to ride the ups and downs of the market to, in order to get the growth. That is why you invest. You want that growth. And if you panic and sell, after when the market's down, that's not going to help you. That's not mm-hmm. going to help you get to your goals. So there's, there are pieces that go into, go into the portfolio. There's a style. You have to know your style. So what is your style? It's your risk tolerance and your risk capacity. 
And those things are outlined in the book. I don't know if you want me to go into those now or go on to something else. Yeah, those things are so important to understand the different the different timelines that they are, right? I never understood the importance of investing. I understood the importance of saving because I recognized when I was young and I'm saying like teenage years that I wanted to buy a car or that I wanted I needed a down payment in order to buy a house one day. But I didn't understand that my money is losing value every year due to inflation. So what you could buy for a dollar last year, you can't buy for a dollar anymore. It's going to cost you a dollar eight, for example. So you lose value in your money all the time. And by putting it into investments, hopefully you're beating inflation, right? So at least you're keeping up with it and maybe then making a little bit more. So understanding the difference between you put it in a savings account at your financial institution, you'll probably make pennies each year but you will be losing dollars each year due to inflation. So it's okay to have a savings account that is just going to make pennies because you're using that for an emergency fund. You need access to it the moment you need it. And that's all there is to it. But in order to gain long-term wealth, you have to be putting money into investments. Otherwise it's losing value and you will go in the wrong direction. Even if you spend $0, you will go in the wrong direction over 10 years if you're not investing. And that was a... That was an important distinction that I really liked in your book about your definitions of those things, because it can be confusing to understand that difference. And there's so many vehicles to invest, right? And that can be very complicated, understanding stocks and bonds and different accounts with 529 and 401k and all the different things yeah. that are out there. And so don't let yourself get distracted or confused by those things and just start with one piece at a time. And you have descriptors in your books talking about this is underwear, right? This is the Uh top. This is the bottom. This is your belt. And it really helps to bring those ideas together. So maybe just really quickly, give us an example of a full wardrobe that may be appropriate for someone who's just starting. Okay. First of all, the emergency fund is the very first thing. And you covered that well in your book as well. It is so important to have an emergency fund that you mm-hmm. can fall back on and having that in a product that is safe, liquid, and will not lose value other than to inflation. So that is the underwear. The shoes guide your whole outfit. The shoes are your risk tolerance. And what I mean by that is what percentage of stock should you have in your account and what percentage of bonds? Now, different people will have different shoes. When you're little, your parents probably let you go barefoot. And I would equate that to an asset allocation of 100% stock. You're little. You can grow, can grow and grow. You have lots of years ahead of you. Most of us, when we start investing, it's later in life. And some of us are more risk tolerant than other ones. So there are tools to help you decide how much should I have in stocks and how much in bonds. And I've given some resources for that in the book. So let's just say you want to start out at 70% stock and 30% bonds. So I'm going to start with the bond piece because that's the bottom of your outfit. So a bond piece, you might decide because when you're starting out, you don't have a whole lot of money to put in at any one time. You might start out with a bond index fund, covering that the investment grade bond market. 
And that would might be the the Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index, for mm-hmm. example. Before you get be- too far down that, a bond is safe because you are lending a company money and you will get paid back right away, right? Where a stock is risky because you are an owner and potentially losing money when they lose money. That's well, fundamental. Stock is owner, okay. bond is loaner. Yep. Owner, loaner. And bonds all have a maturity date and get interest payments. So they're less volatile than stock. The top piece then is the stock piece. So if you're going to be 70% in stock, that is the bulk of your outfit. So you might have the top I'm wearing today, which is to the middle of my thighs kind of thing, but it could be more aggressive and it would be more aggressive than your bond. You could have a total stock market index or you could have an S&P 500 index. And why I'm using indices is because you get more bang for the buck when you start investing. Your mm-hmm. dollars are stretched further and that also reduces your risk. Mm-hmm. Okay? So if you have an index fund of a S&P 500, you have pieces of 500 companies there. It's not as risky as owning one single company or one single bond. Then first, I think I said, was international. And these are things that you add on after you've had that basic underwear, shoes, bottom, top. Then you can add things like investing internationally. Mm -hmm. Or you can invest in some, maybe some real estate kinds of things. Or a little bit of bling, buy a single stock, or you buy a technology fund or something Mm -hmm. like that. But the basic outfit Bottom, stock, underwear, shoes. Yeah, I love it. And you go into such great detail with each of those areas. And it's hard when you're listening to a podcast and it's like a lot of information, a lot of words that you might not understand. But go read the book because the definitions are very clear. You'll have the tools available. I learned a lot about index funds through reading your book, things that I didn't know. And maybe I learned it once upon a time, but it falls out of your brain. There's so much information and don't let that intimidate you. It's okay to reread the same thing three or four times. I've been in the finance world 20 years. I'm learning new things all the time. So it's really easy to get intimidated. I am every day as well. And when you've been, when, when you're a finance professional, it's amazing to me, and I'm sure you would agree, just how much it changes, how much you really have to keep your eyes on it. I use an, I love analogies, so I fell right in love with your book, but I use an analogy in my book of driving a car. And it was one that my mother-in-law coined and we started messing with it together. But I talk about a lot of these things as the peripheral vision when you're driving. You can't ignore all this stuff that's happening around you, even though it's not on your straight drive path, because it will come up to affect you. So I love that you have so many of these options. Investing can seem like something only wealthy people do. I talk to a lot of women in particular who are like, I am so far away from investing because I I can't pay my bills right now. And sometimes that's true, but sometimes you also just don't, aren't looking at your money clearly enough to figure out how you can start investing. So I would encourage you to find a financial planner who can help you set those goals and start to pull those pieces apart. Beverly, before we go, do you have any recommendations on how people could go about finding certified financial planners and what type of things you'd like the audience to keep today as we leave? There are two um, sources, one that I have used more than the other one because it's um, manned by the Financial Planning Association, and it's called letsmakeaplan.org. Let's make a plan.org. 
Now, recently, I've been reading in many financial articles about smart asset, and I think it's .com, um, that you can get three recommendations of uh, financial planners, mm-hmm. advisors who are fiduciaries. Who, um, so both of these sites will contain only fiduciary type advisors. So those are the two that I would recommend. What I would like to leave you with is you, each one of you are unique. You're different. You don't have the same income and expenses and family mm-hmm. dynamics and you don't have the same kind of house or living arrangement as anyone else. If I could stress anything, build your plan for you. When you read things online about these are the five best stocks for this or this is what you need to do with this, put it through the filter. Does this make sense for me? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're taking, uh, reading an article on TikTok, do a double check somewhere else. Do a uh, search, do a little bit of research. It will that pay needs to be off. For everything you read on TikTok needs to go through that filter, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just honor your uniqueness and build your investments and your savings to meet your needs and your family needs. Yeah, I love it. Thank you, Beverly, for coming on. I really appreciate uh-huh. it. It was nice to see you again. And thank you for listening. I'm so glad you came today. Welcome to the Beehive. If you have not already followed and subscribed, please make sure you do so you can catch next week's episode. Until then, I'm your host, Melissa Liam. See ya. Well, that wraps it up. Thank you so much for listening. If you're new around here, please be sure to leave us a review on any podcast platform you're listening to. And you can always reach out to me to let me know what topics you're interested in hearing about or maybe telling me someone you think would be great for the show. Either way, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at EfficiencyBee. Until next time, see ya.